I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I, uh, I've been teaching on Saturday afternoon. It's at 2.30 to 3. I'm teaching on uh, Christmas. Now, Christmas is over. That was yesterday. I don't, here's what really boggles my mind about Christmas. When I was 12 years old in Fort Worth, Texas, and I was watching the Pope do the Midnight Mass as a boy 12 years old in 1951, I was looking at the Pope doing that, and I was saying, this is the Mass. Does Christmas come from Christ's Mass? I'm 12 years old, and no one had ever told me that. And I'm saying, is that Christ's Mass? I knew the Mass of Roman Catholicism was eating human flesh, or supposedly eating human flesh, and they said they they ate the body and the blood of Christ. And it was against the law, against God's law to do that. And I was sitting there evaluating it, and here's what boggles my mind. Why cannot Baptist preachers look at C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S and not see Christ Mass? How come I could see that at 12 years old and no one had told me that, and you can't see it, preachers? John MacArthur, you can't see that? That doesn't take a brilliantly educated man to see that. And if you know anything about the Mass, you know that it's eating human flesh. I've got this up there. Christmas is the reason for disease. And it is. Because Christmas is the fire worship of the ancient world. And God told Israel, if you go after any other doctrine and you don't keep my statutes and my commandments... Keep statutes and commandments. He says this in Deuteronomy 28 and in Leviticus 26 and Exodus 13 and a lot of other places. These are some of my favorite places. That if you don't keep my statutes and my commandments, then I will send four judgments on you. I'll send the sword that will be where your enemies come in and they crush you and they did that because all the time Israel was a nation they kept going after Baal and the grove and all the gods of Egypt they were going after Venus after Osiris and Isis and Amun-Ra, and all the rest of the gods of Egypt, as well as the gods of the, what we call Lebanon, uh, the gods of Tyre and Sidon, which was Baal in the grove, and the gods of Syria, which was Rimmon. And Rimmon was the goddess that sat with with a pomegranate in her hand, presented it to the world, that was supposed to be a convolution of Eve giving the fruit of the tree to Adam and how that a pomegranate has all those seeds and that was a type or a picture of fertility. 
And Israel was going after all these gods plus the gods of Babylon over here. And that's why God scattered them. I've said this a thousand times in the pulpit. Revelation 17 and 5. Babylon mothered all. She was the mother. A mother gives birth to, birth to, and nurtures and suckles all idol worship. Nurses and feeds all idolatry. That was Babylon. And I've tried to explain this to people and say this over and over and over again. What Babylon was founded on, I wrestled with that when I was young. I wrestled with particularly I got real sick at 37 years old. And I laid in bed for six months, nearly died, got real close to death. And I came to a place and said, if Babylon mothered it all, where did she start? She started in Genesis 11 and verse 4. And they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they said, Let us build us a city, Babylon, and a tower. Tower is the word migdal, M-I-G-D-O-L. means a pulpit. And here's what our message will be. Let us make us a name. Name is the word Shem. It means authority. We want. We don't like Shem telling us what to do. God blessed Shem and made him his authority. That's the second born of Noah. And said, we'll make up our own name. And God says, now here's what will happen when you make up your own doctrine. Here's what will happen. Now nothing will be restrained from you which you have imagined to do. Your imagination gets wild when you come up. You know what name means? It means opinion. Let us make up our own opinion and we'll say this is what God wants us to do. Well, God says, if you go after any other doctrine but mine, he said, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence is disease. And all these diseases, whether it's the coronavirus, whether it's AIDS, Ebola, smallpox, the flu, dip. Diphtheria, I was vaccinated for diphtheria when I was about six years old because it was a dangerous thing. So I've got a scar on my arm here from my diphtheria vaccination. And the, the mass is eating human flesh. Drinking blood is a convolution of the Passover. So... What they've done, what they, I've been trying to help people to see this. What they did, I had people write to me and say, some fella told, a, told an acquaintance of ours, well, my brother-in-law or somebody kin to me said, they have been uh, partaking 
They've been partaking of the of the crackers and grape juice for thousands of years. That's right. That's exactly right. But that don't mean that's right. Paul said in Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. In verse 3, he said, The day of the Lord will not come except to come a falling away first. Falling away is the word apostasis. Christmas is an apostasy. That's what it is. That started long before Jesus was born. Started at Babylon. Thousands of years before he was born. Apostasis falling away comes from apo meaning a removal and stasis meaning to stand upright. And from stasis you also get the word staros which is the word cross. There has been a removal of the daily removal apo of the daily cross in the life of the believers. People don't believe that anymore. Then further in that chapter, Paul says the mystery referring back to falling away. He says the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Iniquity is the word A-N-O-M-I-A. Anomia, it is a form of nomos, which is the Greek word law. And the alpha primitive that negates the word, it means no law. That was already working when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, right up here, it's right up on the, it's right up on the Aegean Sea. It's on the top of the Aegean Sea. If I can get to it here, right up here, right in this area, right up here. In this area up here, on the top of the Aegean Sea, there's Philippi, and right next to Philippi was Thessalonica. Right next door to it. So the mystery was already working. Let me tell you something else. The church historian Enoch Pond, he was a Congregationalist. Let me write that on the word congregation, congregation a l i s t. He was a Congregationalist church historian. Congregationalist. That's what the Puritans started calling themselves. After they dropped the word Puritan, the Puritans believed predestination, daily cross, death to self, self denial, and the Congregationalist, he Enoch Pond said, "I've got his book on church history, 
and he lived back several hundred years ago. He said, when in the second century, we're talking about from the first century be 1 to 2 A.D. Second century would be 2 A.D. to 3 A.D. Excuse 200 A.D., not 2. 200 A.D. 1 to 200 A.D. would, excuse me, 1 to 100 A.D., excuse me, 100 A.D. would be the first century. 200, I'll get it right in a minute, 100 A.D. to 200 A.D. would be the second century. This would be the second century. Mr. Pond tells us that the church, when they when they begin to, in the second century, when they begin to turn their leadership over to synods and councils, he said, that's when, when they turn themselves over to synods and councils, that's when they begin to get extremely apostate. The reason being, Synods and councils are what we would call conventions and associations. The reason for this, the reason for this is that the man that gets to the top of a convention, for instance, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention is not usually a scholar. He is a politician working his way to the top. That's like the preachers who pastor the biggest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. They're political people that try to ascend to the top, and that's what they do. Whether it's Bellevue Baptist in Memphis or First Baptist in Dallas, which is the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention. They are politicians that ascend to the top. And Mr. Pond said the church began to get severely apostate by somewhere in the middle of the second century. And that's when they all begin to adapt this thing like Christmas. Now I'm going to get on with this so I can say some things. I've been talking about, let me give you the things we've been talking about. Christmas is a convolution and a twisting of the Passover. That's what it is. It's the Baptists have fallen into the seduction of the Roman Catholic Church. What the Roman Catholics have done, they've taken two particular sets of verses. John 6. John 6 and over in in Matthew, the 26th chapter, when the Bible says, Jesus said, this cup, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And when he says in John 6, except you eat my flesh, 
my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Then he tells them what eat flesh and drink blood is. He says, my flesh or the flesh of me is meat indeed. And then he says, the blood of me is drink indeed, drink indeed. And all you have to do to know what eat flesh and drink blood is, define the word indeed, which is the word alethes, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. It means of truth. When you tell people the truth about eat flesh and drink blood, truth is alethes, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. It is a form of A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, which is the word truth. Alethes means of truth. So when you define it, truth is removing the cover. Alethes comes from lanthano, T-H-A-N-O, lanthano, and the alpha privative. Lanthano means to hide or conceal. The alpha privative negates the word, gives an opposite meaning. It means not to hide anything. So when you don't hide anything, you tell people Christmas is Christ's Mass, and it's not eating the literal body of Christ. He says, my body is meat indeed. When you eat of my body, but there's, I keep saying, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 5, there is one body. Then it tells us again that the body that the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, we, the church, being many, are one bread and one body. And then the Bible says that the body in Colossians 1, 18, and 24, that the body is the church. So you got to eat of the body of Christ or partake in the body of Christ. The body is the church. How do you eat of the church? To eat does not mean to the Jewish mind to put something in your mouth and chew it. Jesus said in John 4, he says concerning the woman at the well, the apostles go into town to get something to eat. They come back and they say, have you eaten anything, Jesus? And he said, I have a meat to eat of. This is what he said. I have a meat to eat of. And my meat, meat is to do. You don't think of meat as doing, do you? Well, the word law is the word nomos. Is the law something we do? Absolutely. Is the law something we eat? Yes. 
Law means legally prescribed food for sheep. And you go to the end of Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And the Bible says that the master of the house comes and brings and gives to the people of the house of God meat in due season. And then the Bible says immediately after that, Blessed is that servant when the master of the house comes and finds the servant so doing the meat. So God's work, God's meat is something we do. Except you eat and drink of truth, that's something you do. You take the cover off. That's what you eat of. And I believe the verse that gives us, I'm going to review it to you. The verse that gives us more than anything else is in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Here's how you eat of the body of Christ. Here it is right here. 1 Corinthians. I'm just going to slightly review this. So for people who didn't see this, I had a fellow call me from California, Yuri Shev or something like that. And Yuri, you asked me a question about the 11th chapter of First Corinthians. But I'm going to give you just a slight review of this 12th chapter of First Corinthians. Because the Bible says God has given gifts to every man. And he goes into this and he says... For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. The body's the church. That's verse 13. For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the truth. That's how we eat of the truth. We eat of indeed the truth. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is truth. John fourteen fifteen sixteen, John fifteen twenty six, John sixteen thirteen, First John five and six. The Spirit is taking off the cover. It's your ability when God writes upon the fleshy tables of your heart to take the cover off and admit the truth is the truth. Most people are so prejudiced towards their flesh they can't remove the cover. And then he says, here's how you partake, how you eat of the body of Christ. And he says, he uses a physical body to describe the body, the church. And then he says, for the body is not one member, but many. The physical body has an ear, has an eye, has a tongue, has legs, has feet has appendix, has tonsils. It takes all of the members for this body to run correctly. Now, we didn't think tonsils were necessary when I was a kid. All the young kids had their tonsils removed, but we found out that the tonsil gathers poison, just like the appendix does. It's very necessary. Then he says, here's how you eat of the body. If the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? 
Just because the foot isn't the hand, do you need the foot? Do you need your big toes? Oh, absolutely. The Jews, when they would capture a pagan king, they would cut off his big toes and his thumbs. Without your big toe, you can't balance. I mean, just try to walk around with your big toe up in the air. Just turn it up. You cannot pick up a weapon if you have no thumbs. So they'd cut off their thumbs and their great toes. They had no mobility at all. So do you need your toes? Do you need your toenails? Do you need your fingernails? If you don't have any fingernails, you don't have anything to take the cushion when you bump into something and all you'd do, you'd be getting stone bruises. You ever had a stone bruise? That's where you bruise all the way down to the bone. And it hurts so bad and you can't do anything. You'd have stone bruises all over your feet and all over your fingers if you didn't have any nails. Do you need your nails? Absolutely do. So that's why he's saying, if the ear shall say, because I'm not of the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? He's saying everybody needs to eat of the body or partake of the body where God puts you. If the whole were a body, if the whole body were an eye, where's the hearing? If the whole were a hearing, where's the smelling? Now, and verse verse 18 is probably one of the most important verses in this part of the chapter. Because it says, But now hath God set the members, the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, in everywhere in the body as it hath pleased him. So you are in the body what you're supposed to be. I wasn't a preacher until I started this ministry. I thought I was a preacher. I was traveling around the country speaking in churches, but I couldn't have been a pastor. I was too young. So he goes on through here and says, the uncomely parts of the body need more attention. That would be like the appendix or the tonsils or some or just a fingernail. They need more attention. That's an uncomely part. Then he gets down here in verse, I brought it out last week. Then he says in verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. That is a very important word. Meros. A portion to eat of. That's what that word means. A portion to eat. Well, he's been talking about eyes and ears and foot. He's saying that's how you eat of the body. You partake of your part. That's how you eat of the body of Christ. And he uses that same word in Luke 24 when he says, when Jesus resurrection from the dead and he goes to northern Galilee where the apostles are and they've been out fishing. He says, do you have any meat? Now here he is in his glorified body after his resurrection. Shows he's going to eat. People say, we're we going to eat in heaven. Well, yeah, I guess we are. But there won't be any waste. There won't be any need to have waste of food. It'll, we will assimilate everything that we eat. 
And here's what the Bible says. They gave Jesus a piece of fish. The word peace is the word meros. So particular and piece of fish are the same word. How do you eat of the body? Now, I've got some things I've got to straighten out for people. Everybody always wants to go to that 11th chapter. I had Yuri call me and ask me, what about the 11th chapter? I said, if you will notice, said this on the phone to him earlier today, if you will notice in that 24th verse when the Bible says, and when he had given thanks, who is it talking about? Jesus. When Jesus had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body. If you've got a red letter Bible, that's in red letters. That's just quoting. That is quoting. Let me erase some of this. That's quoting the verses of the last Passover. The last Passover. I wrote up here that the law comes in two parts. It comes in the letter and the spirit. You can find that several places. You look in Second Corinthians, the first chapter, first chapter, uh, not the third chapter, uh, about verses four, four and five. The Bible says, "The letter of the law killeth." That's the rituals. And the Spirit gives life. We're talking about a spiritual Passover. The Passover, the first Passover. Well, one letter said, one of my emails said, can the first Passover be in the beginning with Adam and Eve when God killed an animal to clothe their nakedness. That's exactly what it could be. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Without shedding the blood of the lamb without blemish in the 12th chapter of Exodus there's no remission of sin but the lamb shed wasn't for all the sins of everybody in the world it was only for Israel God's elect that put the blood over the doorpost and the blood has to do well I better not say that that's later on that well the blood actually has to do with the testament Blood has to do with the testament. And the testament was the Passover. It was the Passover cup. Now, so what was blotted out was the letter of the law. There's two, there's two writings in the Bible when it comes to the law. One is on tables of stone. And one is on fleshy tables of the heart. Fleshy tables of the heart. Now, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, dogma. The dogma, 
that was written on one of these tables, either the tables of stone or fleshy tables of the heart. We know it was not, the one written on our heart was not blotted out. The one was written on tables of stone. That's the letter of the law. That was blotted out. Now we have the law on fleshy tables of our hearts. That is spiritual. I believe the reason people cannot see the truth about the Passover, atonement, it's all spiritual. Atonement has the same exact meaning as baptize. Baptized in blood has to do with the testament. And this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Now, all right. So what was blotted out was the rituals of the law. But the law wasn't blotted out. Do we make the void the law through faith? Yea, we establish the law. That's the last verse of the third chapter of Romans. We establish the law through faith. The law's not done away with. Can you go out and kill? Can you steal? Can you covet? Can you have another God? The the law is still here. The only thing that isn't here is the letter. We are in a spiritual Passover. There's three... There's three... UAL... There's three particular holy days in the Old Testament. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, which is also with the day of it, which has to do with the Feast of Huts, same thing, and the Feast of Tabernacles. That's in the seventh month. That's in the seventh month of the Jewish ecclesiastical year. That's a month Tishri, and Tishri is our month, September, October. The Passover was in the month Nisan. That's our month, March, April. If you notice, if you notice, March, April is when the crops start coming in. Then all through the summer they come in. Then you get down to the seventh month, September, October. You're at the end of the harvest. End of harvest. That has to do with God's covenant with us. When he said, if you're obedient, there in in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, he says, I'll give you all the food you want. Your basket will be full your storehouses will be full. That way you can live for this cold, cold winter. And that's when the Pagans' festival started, Halloween. Halloween are all Hallow's Eve. And then you got the Feast of Saturn. That's while the cold months are here and there's no crops. So they went after these sun gods. And then you've got, you've got Mardi Gras and, Hallow- and Valentine's at the same time. And then you have Ishtar or Easter. Easter was was a spring goddess in the ancient world. Ishtar. How people don't know these things, I don't know how I can figure them out and study and read and find them and nobody, no other preachers can find them. Now, I need to get back over here to 
let's get back to the eleventh chapter. What's happening in the eleventh chapter of First First Corinthians? There's something happening here. Every scholar will tell you what they're doing is they're having the agape love feast. Now, this fairy tale about some Roman Catholic switching the the Sabbath to Sunday is not true. That was something that Ellen White, who started the Seventh-day Adventists, started. She did that. She said that it was the Roman Catholics. First of all, we meet on the first day of the week. First day of the week, which is Sunday. People say, well, I'm not going to worship God on the day of the sun. Well, you're going to worship me on the day of Saturn. Saturn Day. That's what Saturday is about. It's about Saturn Day, the chief sun god in Rome. Those are pagan names. Monday is Moon Day. Moon Day. Tuesday, T-U-E-S, is actually Mars Day. That's another name for Mars. And Wednesday is Woden. Woden was the sun god of the Scandinavian world. Woden's day is Wednesday. And Thursday is Thor's day. And Friday is Freya day. F-R-E-I-Y-A. Freya was identified with Venus, so that's actually Venus day. We don't, But we don't use first day of the week, second day of the week, Uh, That would be very confusing in our society. Now, so, on the first day of the week is when the church met in the early church. Let me show you that real quick. I'm I'm not going to go through the Sabbath. The Sabbath is every day. Sabbath means rest. When you believe that God has preordained everything, then you can rest. That's what that's what Sabbath means. It means rest. Let me just show you very quickly. First Corinthians, the 16th chapter. This is what the Bible says. Verse 2, upon the first day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. Let every one of you lay by in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. On the first day, and I know that when you look up the word week, I've said this last week, they numbered everything from the Sabbath. That's what the Jews did. It actually says first day of Sabbath. It doesn't mean the Sabbath, They numbered everything from the Sabbath. They said first day of the Sabbath was Sunday. Second day of the Sabbath was Monday. Monday. Third day of the Sabbath day was Tuesday. 
fourth day was Wednesday, fifth day was Thursday, sixth day was Friday, that was all so-called Sabbath Eve, and then you had Saturday, you had the Sabbath. So they had put such store in the Sabbath, that was the most righteous thing to the Jew. So they had the first day of the Sabbath, second day. So, first day of the week means the means Sunday. And look here in Acts. Look in Acts 20. Acts 20. The church met on the first day of the week because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not going to go into that, but that is when he rose from the dead. Verse 7, chapter 20 of Acts. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached. They met on the first day. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and to continue his speech until midnight. So he preached on the first day of the week. Now go back to the 11th chapter. You can go into McClinic and Strong and look in the A volume and look up Agape. It will tell you they had a feast every first day of the week. And what the feast was for, it was for taking offerings, offerings for the poor, and bringing food so the poor could carry it home. This is why I believe in taking care of the poor. We take all, we ask for, for offerings for the poor, but we don't ask for the church. I always do that every time I have announcements. It's for the poor. There are people that make 600 a month, 700 a month. They pay 400 a month rent out of that. I don't know how they live. So we send some of them 50, some $100, some 200 These are little widow ladies that don't have any way to live. I have a real desire for them. Now, what's happening here in the 11th chapter, every scholar will tell you, this is the agape love feast. Now, let's look on down here in, this is the same chapter where the Bible says that I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. For if a man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, he dishonoreth his head. What is his head? Christ. And then it says, and every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered. What's her head? The man. But if she's not married, she goes directly to his head. She ignores her husband when it comes to righteous spiritual things, unless he's telling her right things. If he's not, she goes to his head. Then down here in, in verse... 19, for there must be also heresies among you that which are approved may be made manifest among you. Heresy is not what most people think it is. It's the word heresis, H-A-I-R-E-S-I-S. 
we get the word heretic, heretizo, H-A-R-E-T-I-Z-O. Heretizo and hereticos are forms of this, H-A-I-R-T-I-K-O-S. Hereticos is the word heretic. It means to choose for oneself. We might call it self-will. The world would call it free will. You're a heretic if you believe in free will. That's what you are. You choose for yourself. You don't believe in what God says. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. Now, let's keep reading. When you come together on the first day of the week, because that's what they're doing here, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. We're not talking about that. They gather together to get money for the poor. All scholars will tell you this. But they're going to be involved in the spiritual Passover because you had a lamb without blemish. You find the Passover lamb is in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. That's after the death of Christ. That's about 30 or 40 years after Jesus died. It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. They call the Lord's Supper the Passover. For in eating, every one taketh other his own supper and he's hungry and another's drunken what have you not houses to eat and drink in this is this food we brought is for the poor or despise ye the church of god and shame them that have not we gather here to gather food for these poor people What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? I praise you not, church at Corinth. They were very corrupt at Corinth. They were always arguing about who they were following. 1 Corinthians is a book of correction to Corinth. They didn't do anything right. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in when she was betrayed, took bread. It's going to refer to the last Passover. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body. That's in red letters in a red letter Bible. What is the body of Christ? The church. Take and eat the body of Christ. He's not talking about the mass where the Roman Catholics raise the Eucharist up and say, say, Tachus corpus emphile. And they say that turns into the literal body and blood of Christ. That's not it. He's talking about eating and drinking of truth. How, why, don't, why I can see this and other people can't see it? I don't know. We know they were eating the Passover because of two particular things. The fact that 
the fact that John lay upon Jesus' breast, they, in order to lie upon somebody's breast, you had to be at a pass. You had to be at a feast table. It was called a triclinium table. We've got triclinium's over there on the wall. We've got them here on this internet. we got the triclinium down here. Here it is, right here. Let's say this was, this was Peter, or this is Peter, and this is Jesus behind him. That shows a woman there, but let's say this is Peter and this is Jesus, or this is John, excuse me, and this is Jesus. To lie on somebody's breast means to lie prone upon the triclinium table. Every time they were eating a feast, they laid it on a triclinium. The feast was holy to God. Triclinium. They lay prone upon the triclinium like this. And they laid upon their left arm and the server would walk up in that three-sided table. That's why it's called a tri-three-side clinium. That's why they called it that. And the fact that John was leaning back, lying upon Jesus' breast, that stupid picture, stupid, stupid picture that that homosexual artist drew with the Last Supper and all set on one side of the table. That's so dumb. It's ignorant. And John is laying over on Jesus' breast. That's not what it was. To talk to the man behind you, you turn back on your elbow and you lay up on his breast to talk to him. That's proof they were at a triclinium. That's proof they were eating the Passover. When they dipped into the sop in the middle, the sop was the bitter herbs. There were four items at the Passover, a lamb without blemish, four cups. There was there was a lamb, four cups. There were bitter herbs. That was the last thing. Bitter herbs. And the third cup was called the cup of blessing. Cup of blessing. And when Jesus took the cup and blessed it and said this cup, he took the cup and blessed it and said this cup is the New Testament. Well, that takes us on another direction from the spin wheel. Let me erase some of this up here so I can put this up here. Oh, I forgot to tell you, there was unleavened bread. Unleavened bread for seven days. Unleavened bread. Now, the Bible says, we being many are one bread in one body. The bread is the body of the church. And Jesus said, my bread, this bread is me. And he said, it's the church. And he said, it's my flesh. And you have to eat the flesh of the Son of Man 
and you have to eat of his body, which is the church. So there's bitter herbs, four cups, third cup. The official word for the third cup of the Passover was cup of blessing. Jesus cut the cup and blessed it. And that takes you into, he said, this cup is the New Testament. Testament is the word dia theke, T-H-E-K-E. It means last will and testament. So you got a last will and testament upon the death of the testator. And he wasn't dead yet. The man who draws it up. When they were eating the Passover, it was, let's just say it was about nine o'clock at night. Their day began at six in the evening and went to six o'clock the next evening. Well, the next day, during the daylight day, Jesus is going to die somewhere between 12 and 3 because it's going to be dark from the 6th hour of the day. 12 o'clock was the 6th hour of the daylight day. 3 o'clock until the ninth hour. So somewhere between 12 and 3, he's going to die. Well, here at, let's say at this nine o'clock the night before, it's not actually the night before since their day began at six and ended at six. It's the same day. So let's say he dies at 12 o'clock the next day and he hangs on the cross till three. So from nine to 12, that would be three hours to 12 midnight plus another 12. So 15 hours later, he's going to die, right? And he says to them, on the night before, around 9 o'clock, they're eating the Passover supper, he says, this cup is the new diathike, last will and testament. A last will and testament. Then you have to go over to Hebrews, the ninth chapter, where the Bible says, let's just read that real quick. Ninth chapter of Hebrews. All these have to go together. Ninth chapter of Hebrews, the Bible tells us that where a testament is, there has to be the death of the testator, that would be Christ. So when he says, this cup is the New Testament, it doesn't apply until he's dead, at least 15 hours later to 18 hours later. Let's say he doesn't die till 3. So 15 to 18 hours later, he's not talking about drinking a cup of grape juice that night, even though they're going to drink the grape juice. He's acting out a contract. They acted all their contracts out. I got a lot to say about that. That's why they had a contract of the Old Testament, and the Bible says, blotting out the handwriting of rituals, ordinances. 
which was against us, it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. When they did away with one contract and installed another, they would take the witnesses, two witnesses out in public, they'd do the, take the two contracting parties out in public, says everyone in agreement, you two witnesses witnessed the original contract. They said yes. They would take a nail and drive it through it, invalidating the old contract. What they invalidated was the letter of the law. But the law is still here. You can't go around killing people. So he says here in verse 17 of chapter 9 of Hebrews, for a testament, what did Jesus say? This blood, this cup is the New Testament, the new last will and testament, diatheke. To have a last will and testament, you've got to have the death of the testator. And that's what he says here. Where testament, there must be necessity, the death of the testator. Metatithame. It must be the death of the person that's drawn it up. That's Jesus. For a testament is of force after men are dead. He can't be talking about, certainly there in the last Passover, but when he's nailed to the cross, the Passover becomes spiritual and there's no longer a literal Passover. Now, go back over to the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And when he had given thanks, his reference is to Matthew 26, which is Matthew's account of the last Passover right before he dies later in that day. It's also the same account of Mark 14, which is Mark's account of the last Passover, and Luke 22, Luke's account of the last Passover, right before he dies, about 15 to 18 hours later. And also John, the 13th chapter, John's account of the last Passover. Take, eat, this is my body. What if I said, take, eat, this is my church? The body. Which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Anamnesis. A-N-A-M-N-E-S-I-S. A-N-A-M-N-E-A-N-M-E-S-I-S. We get the word amnesia from that. It means to remember. Do it in remembrance. It has the same meaning as the first Passover in Exodus, the 12th chapter, when the Bible says in the 12th chapter of Exodus, Exodus 12, This is the first Passover named. This is the tenth plague. And this day shall be a memorial. Zikron has the same meaning. What verse? In verse, verse 14, it's talking about the first Passover, the tenth plague, and this day shall be a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and it shall be a feast by an ordinance forever. 
It didn't disappear when Jesus was nailed to the cross. It went into a spiritual Passover. Christ the Lamb, we being many are one bread and one body, the church, and four cups, the cup of blessing which we bless. That's the third cup of the Passover, 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, And then he says, This do in remembrance of me. That's what the Passover was for. Now let's keep reading. After the same manner, he took the cup. Jesus took the cup. This is referring to the last Passover. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. But it's not going to apply till he's dead 15 to 18 hours later, right? Can everybody see that? I hope you do. This do as oft as you drink of it. What does that mean, drinking of a literal cup? No, as often as you die. I read from McClinic and Strong about the cup. To drink of a cup meant to undergo a severe ordeal or a death. In fact, the last sentence of it, or the last phrase of it, I'll read it again, the last paragraph. For in by, by far the majority of passages, the cup the cup of astonishment, the cup of trembling, the the full red flaming wine cup of God's wrath and retributive indignation. There is in fact in prophets no more frequent or terrible image and it is repeated with pathetic force in the language of our Lord's agony. If it be thy will that this cup pass from me, God is also represented as a master of a banquet dealing the mad, the madness and stupor of vengeance to guilty guests, the cup thus becomes an obvious symbol of death. When Jesus said this cup, in order you have to drink it and die daily, taking your cross. To drink of a cup had the same meaning as a blood baptism, had the same meaning of self-denial, had the same meaning as a daily cross. And then he goes on to say, and hence the oriental phrase to taste death is so common in the New Testament, Matthew sixteen twenty-eight. Now let's get back to 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread, what's the bread? The body, the church. As often as you take of the church and drink this cup, death to self, you do show the Lord's death till he come. You can't show the Lord's death picking up a, a, a little cup of grape juice and go, okay, everybody drink this cup, and I'm showing you the Lord's death. You show the Lord's death when you die daily. How do you do that? By eating and drinking of truth and taking the cover off. And you make people mad telling them Christmas is pagan. You make them mad, and they make them, you make them mad enough to want to crucify you. People say, how do you do the truth? You pull the cover off. And when you tell them Christmas is Christ's mass, it's paganism, has nothing to do with what they're talking about, they don't know what to do with that. It, it drives people crazy to tell them 
To tell a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction, one who has no hope in Christ that Christmas is Christ's mass, it's paganism, and tell them what they were doing was eating the last Passover? They weren't eating the body of Christ, literally. They were eating of the church. I just don't even understand why I can see this and other people can't. How much time do I have, Mike? I want to get the rest of this in. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. You mean you can sit there and hold a, gra- a cup of grape juice and say, I hope I can be worthy to gulp this down? I don't mean nothing. If you drink the cup, death to self, unworthily, Unworthily is the word anaxios. Here's the word. A-N-A-X-I-O-S. A-N-A-X-I-O-S. It comes from the word axios. Axios is our word axiom. Axiom are mathematical laws. And the alpha in front of anaxios translates anaxios. What this is saying, if you eat and drink, if you partake in the body of Christ and drink death to self unworthily, that was a Passover term. What they had to do, well, let me read the rest of this. If you eat and drink unworthily, you shall be guilty of the body, the church, and the blood of the Lord. You're drinking and drinking unworthily. Let me tell you what, I, what that means. This has to do with what Jesus told the Pharisees. What he told the Pharisees in Matthew 23. My board's messing up. Let me erase some of this. All right. Unworthily. Anaxios. A-N-A-X-O-S. The way you partook of the Passover unworthily or the Pentecost unworthily, or the Day of Atonement in the seventh month unworthily, you were you were fellowshipping with whited sepulchres. What do you mean by that? When they had these festivals in Israel. Got it here. Israel had been scattered all over the world. And when they had these festivals, Passover, Pentecost, uh, 
and feast of ingathering. They came from all over the world because all the males were required to come from all over the world. They came from around the world and they came back to Jerusalem. All these arrows are pointing back to Israel. These are Jews from every nation. See the little arrows there pointing towards Jerusalem. They're coming to Jerusalem for Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Huts, which was coupled with the Day of Atonement. And what the Jews had to do, they sent out people. If this is Israel, and this is Turkey up here, and here's Egypt down here, and this is the Sinai Peninsula, and there's the Gaza Strip, and you've got Tyre and Sidon, or Lebanon, what we call Lebanon right up here. Lebanon. Israel would have to go out, if Jerusalem is here, and all these people are coming to Jerusalem. They had been scattered all over the world for, actually, the Jews, northern Israel was scattered in 722 B.C. So when you get to this this Passover and southern Judah was scattered in 586 B.C. The Jews from all over the world, you could add 33 years to this for Jesus. So over 600 years, southern Israel has been scattered. And these are Jews from all over the world. They were scattered because they went after Baal and the grove, Shemosh and Molech and so forth. So they're coming back to Jerusalem. Well, Israel had to go out on their roads. Wherever they had roads, they had to repair the roads. They didn't have these machines that could lay out pavement. Didn't have that. They had to go out. You had had millions of people, Jews, coming back from all over the world for these festivals. So they had to go out and prepare these roads. You can get this information out of Edersheim's The Temple is Ministry and Services. The Temple. Ministry and Services. And you can get it out of other books also. You can get it out of the Compendia. The Compendia gives you the best illustration of this. In fact, I got this map out of the Compendia. It's a magnificent set of books. Well, they had to go out and repair all the roads. When they ran across a dead body, they were required. You can't move the dead body. And they had to paint a rock with white paint of some kind or whited sulfur and they called that where that dead body was they called that a whited sepulcher and those men that were sent out, they could not, because they came in contact with whited sepulchers, 
they could not come to the Passover until a month later. So you actually had two Passovers. You had one on Nisan 14. That's where the majority of the people would partake of it. And another one a month later, month later, for all those men that had to go out and take care of those dead bodies. And what were these whited sepulchers at this spiritual Passover? We can see that in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. It'll tell you who they were. It was a bunch of Pharisees. And Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees in this 23rd chapter. And he says, he says all through this chapter, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There in verse 13, he says, You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye yourselves neither go in, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And I have to go through the halakha to tell you all about this, and I don't have time. Then he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you devour widows' houses, for you... For with a pretense you make long prayers that you may receive greater damnation. The Pharisees weren't supposed to own property, but they would court some widow that was about to die, and she would leave all her property to them. They were devouring widows' houses. Then he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You cop a sin land to make one proselyte, and after he's made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Well, he wasn't very nice to them, was it? People say, you need to be nice like Jesus. Well, you need to read the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Now, let's get on down here. He called them blind guys. He said, in verse 25, Warn you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. A Pharisee was an, an actor under an assumed character. They were pretending. Then it gets down to that those verses I need. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. And then it gets to that verse I want. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like whited sepulchers. Aha! You cannot run around with whited sepulchers with dead bodies when you're in a spiritual Passover. That's partaking unworthily. You can't run with the world. Come out and be separate and touch not the unclaimed thing and I'll receive you. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather rebuke them. Stay away from false teachers and people who live wrong. That's the whited sepulchers. And indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Where do you get that, Jim, about the second Passover? Go over to Numbers, the ninth chapter. Numbers 9. How much time do I have, Mike? 18. Numbers, the ninth chapter. Here it is. This will tell you about the two Passovers. 
But you're not going to be able to understand the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians without going to Numbers, the 9th chapter. If you'll notice, it's talking about Passover all through this. The Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness in Sinai, this verse 1, the first month of the second year, and after they were come out of the land of Egypt, let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at the appointed season. Look down at verse 4. Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. Verse 5. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. We've said that a thousand times. Even of the wilderness of Sinai. Look at verse 6. And there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man. And they got to put off the Passover for a month, and it says so in this chapter. And they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And these men said unto him, We are defiled by dead body of a man. Wherefore we are kept back that we may not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel, And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you people who come in contact with dead bodies. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, or by being a journey afar off, ye shall yet... He shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. The 14th day of the second month. The Passover was the 14th day of the first month. March, April. So they had to wait a month. Because they had come in contact with dead bodies. At evening they shall keep and eat it. Unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And they shall leave none of it until the morning nor break any bone of it according to all the ordinances of the Passover shall they keep it. That's amazing when it says in verse 11, the 14th day of the second month, the Passover the 14th day of the first month. That's when it was. You find that every time you find the Passover, except for these people who are in contact with dead bodies, or we might call them whited sepulchers. But the man that is clean is not in a journey, and forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off from among his people. Cut off means to be killed. Because he brought not the offering of the Lord in his appointed season, that man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger shall sojourn among you and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according to the ordinance of the Passover and according to the matter thereof, so shall he do. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and for him that is born in the land. Now let's go back over here to First Corinthians. First Corinthians. You can't teach the Bible without going all through the Bible. Now go back to First Corinthians 11 chapter. And let's see what else that goes on at this Passover. It's talking about the Passover. But what we're in is a spiritual Passover. I don't know why I can see these things and other preachers can't. I 
I can't see how that in Luke, the 22nd chapter, when they were having this so-called Lord's Supper, it came time to kill the Passover. That was the Passover lamb they killed. That shows they were in the Passover right there. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 11. Now, verse 28. Well, let me read 27 one more time. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, eating the bread is eating of the body of the church. The cup is death itself, a daily cross. Unworthily means to be running around with the world and people who don't believe God. While you're, while you're fellowshipping here, you're listening to the truth, and you're running with the wrong people, it will affect you. But let a man examine himself. Examine is the word dokimazo. Discern. D O K I M A Z O. Dokimazo means to put under trial or test. Test oneself. Remember, adokimas means no fire, no trials. It's the word reprobate. You're reprobate if you don't like the fire, and the only way you can get along with whited sepulchers is to let them have their way. So let a man examine himself and let him eat of the bread, the body, the church. And drink that cup, death to self. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, running around with the wrong people, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning. Diacrino, D-I-A, gosh, how much have I got? D-I-A-K-R-I-N-O. Remember, diacrino means to discriminate, you do you do the judging. Comes from crino meaning to judge, and dia means the channel of judging. And that's we found that Abraham staggered not through, of the promise of God through unbelief. That word staggers dia crino. Unbelief is a p i s t i s. It means no faith. Dia crino is no faith. No death to self. So you could put in here, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation, crema, God's decision is against that man. Not discerning, diacrino, means you're not judging correctly. He's not discerning the Lord's body, which is the church. You can't run with the world. For this cause, many are weak and sickly. Doesn't just mean literal sickness. It's talking about spiritual sickness. Among you and many sleep. So if we would judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. If we shall crino. Crino means to decide guilty or innocent. If we will crino ourselves, diacrino is where you become the method of judging. 
If we crino ourselves, we shall not be judged. But when we're judged, we are chastened of the Lord. We should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together on this agape love feast, when you come together, tarry one for another. (laughs) That's so funny. Because usually... The preacher will read that in some Baptist church and they'll say, everybody hold your cup. And it's not talking about holding a cup till everybody gets their cup ready. Okay, now do everybody drink together. That's not it. That's not it at all. Hey, this has to do with what he was saying up there in verse 22. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Wait for the poor to get here before you start eating and drinking at this love feast. Tarry for the poor, wait for them. And every commentary I has says this is a love feast that they're having. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. Don't eat up this food that you brought for the poor. That ye may not come together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order. When I come to you. This whole chapter is about the agape love feast. That's what it's about. It's amazing how little people study these things. Where did this cracker and grape juice come from? came from Catholicism. It was a man named Cyprian... Cyprian was supposed to be an early church father, but he was half crazy. Whenever I say early church fathers, the church fathers, I've got a series of books. It's 38 volumes. It's called The Church Fathers. You've got the first ten volumes are the anti-Nicene fathers. That means before the Nicene Council, I study those more than anything else in those books, the first ten volumes. And the early church fathers, some of them were wacky and some of them were really on target. They were just like a bunch of Baptists in Texas. When I left Texas, there was 29 different kinds of Baptists in Texas in 1963 when I left. Ain't no telling how many there are now. Well, you had some church fathers. You had Cyprian. You couldn't trust him very much. You had Tertullian. He was kind of crazy. And then you had people like like uh, Irenaeus. And you had Ignatius. And you had Polycarp. Polycarp actually comes before Irenaeus. He followed John at Smyrna as the pastor of the church at Smyrna. Irenaeus was very good. 
Ignatius was a very good man. Polycarp, Irenaeus pastored at Smyrna. He followed Polycarp. And the reason you don't ever hear preachers refer to Ignatius, uh, Polycarp, and Irenaeus is because the Roman Catholics got a hold of them and made them saints in the Roman Catholic Church. But when you read these guys, they really knew. Uh, Ignatius said something along the line. He said, Oh, that I may be ground by the, in the teeth of beasts, which are evil men, that I may be found to be pure bread. We're the bread. They knew the truth about the bread and the body. These guys were wacky. Cyprian was in the, between two and three hundred AD, AD. And Cyprian kept this Eucharist going. Here's what it come from. The Agape love feast, the love feast, they were meeting on the first day of the week when the Roman Empire began to persecute the Christians when they overthrew Rome, overthrew Jerusalem in 70 A.D., the Christians went on the run. And they would hide in caves and they'd meet in the catacombs below. That was those tunnels underneath Rome. They'd meet and they'd say, did you bring your your little meal, your bread and your grape juice? And they'd say, yes, they say, let's eat together. And around 153 A.D., Williston Walker in his church history says, Williston Walker, church historian, excellent church historian, along with Enoch Pond and Backhouse and Tyler, these are church historians, Backhouse and Tyler tell you that around 153 to 157 A.D. that the Eucharist, the that this partaking of the meal turned into a liturgy and it broke off. A liturgy is a ritual. And the church historians will tell you that this what they call the Eucharist, they didn't call it that then, later on with the Roman Catholics, they call it the Eucharist. It broke off of this agape love meal and became a ritual in the church and a man named Cyprian kept it going, kept it as a ritual in the church in the 200s, like 250, until the Roman Catholic Church began in 325 A.D. under Constantine when he brought that into the church and they made this the Eucharist and they called the Eucharist the, the real presence of Christ in the, in the cracker. Real presence. That's an official term. You can get this out of a Roman Catholic catechism. You get a catechism at any bookstore that sells new books, or you can order one. I'm just about out of time. I got through this chapter. I wanted to get through it. I've got a few more things. I'm out of time, Mike. Two minutes. There's so many things to say on this. This 11th chapter is about the spiritual Passover.
they didn't gather together to eat the Lord's Supper in the sense of eat a literal Lord's Supper, a literal Passover. They gathered together to take money for the poor and to bring food for the poor. That's what he said. You got houses to eat in, but if you don't know, in every commentary I've got talks about the Agape Love Feast, and it tells you fully about it in the A volume of McClinic and Strong. Just look up Agape. Wise preachers don't believe this. They don't study. They just accept the fact, well, the church is always eating the cracker and the grape juice. Well, they did wrong. I'm not going to believe it because some statement of faith says it. I'm going to study it for myself. Is this right? I'd rather, if you gave me a choice between books on inspiration or information, I'll take information every time. I want to know, what does it mean? Church, these statements of faith were invented by men. There's a lot of error in the statements of faith, just like there's a lot of error in the King James Bible, but not in the Textus Receptus. Well, I'm through teaching. I've got some, some things out of these books by these various preach, various church historians. Uh, says here in, out of Williston Walker's book that 153 AD, that's when the Eucharist broke away from the, from the agape meal. It broke off and, uh, and it was Cyprian that kept it going. Unbelievable what preachers don't know about the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Cause us to continue your work. Fight our battles. Lord, the church out there that's listening, help them to be strong in the faith. Lord, we I don't even know what to ask for anymore. We gotta just put one step, one foot in front of the other and go forward. That's all I know to do. Keep us in the faith. Forgive us of our sin. Strengthen us and add to our faith. Fight our battles in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Boy, I think we've just about got through this Passover thing. It's unbelievable what the preachers don't know. They don't know nothing. I just, I don't understand. I never have liked the idea. I never felt right taking a cracker and a grape juice and going, hold this and I'll feel holy after I eat it, drink it. 